Have you guys seen any of those product red things around? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, some of you guys are nodding. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. If you go into a Starbucks, there's a little logo on some of their equipment or gear, a coffee cup. It says product red. If you buy a Dell computer, there's a little logo in the corner. It says product red. If you go, um, I don't know, it's everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere. Once you start seeing it, they're everywhere. There are all these companies who are buying into this concept of delivering life-saving medication. And I was really blown away, and there's actually a, a doc, if you go to um, one.org, there's a documentary video where you can watch where that young woman comes back to that camp where she had first received these pills that were like, what they say, 40 cents a day? And she looked at a picture of herself when she was there, and they asked her the question, said, do you even remember being that woman? And she says, I do not. I'm a new person. And, and I guess what I was challenged with is that for so many of us, it was crisis and panic and do something now, and then it was history. But all the while, God's been orchestrating things to save lives. People, they said, well, who drove it? The faith community drove it. There are people that are still actively serving and loving and trying to you know, get the rest of us to pay attention to the ways we can make a difference in the world. And so today, because see, sometimes it feels like, well, waiting is apathetic, you know, that we're not doing anything, but that's not true. Um, when we're waiting on God, we're waiting for his best solution. And my prayer, and, and it blew me away, by the way, it was on CNN, because my prayer is that God's glorified through this kind of stuff. That someone would watch that, and they'd be like, wow, you know, what drives these people to, to be like, what is it, 30 years later, still, still, or 20 years later, still pushing for this life-saving cure? I know for me, I'm, I'm challenged, challenged by that. So today I want to walk through a few things from this kind of the, the John 11 that we heard this morning that Rick read for us. I want to walk through a few of the concepts. But the first, is, the first thing I want to talk about today is that in Jesus Christ, uh, we follow the God of time, right? That the God that we follow is the God of time. Now, this might sound goofy to you. You go, of course, you know. But I want you to understand, and I've heard this said before, that um, the, um, the Jewish faith is rooted in linearness. It tells a linear story. We've talked about it before, right? If you, you have a point in time here, this is called the beginning, and it goes on from there, and then to, to the end, and then eternity is extended on either side of that. But this is our understanding of our experience as human beings. And I say that's kind of interesting because I've had conversations with people who don't believe that about time. They believe things are cyclical. They believe there's something happening where there's some kind of a, a wheel that spins us around in circles. You see, but we believe in a God of time, where things happen in time. And the, the, the reason that the, I, I wanted to hear John 11 today is because I, I think sometimes we believe that, that, if, if, uh, that God isn't the God of time, that the God we follow is as panicked as we are about what's happening in the world. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I believe, I, I believe that if, if that. Uh, in some ways, our actions betray a, a, a fear that um, everything is out of control and God has no idea what's happening. If he knew, he would be panicked also. And time and time again, I see in Scripture where the disciples are panicked about what's happening, but Jesus is not. When there's a storm around the boat, the disciples are panicked, but Jesus is not. Whenever Lazarus is dead... The disciples are panicked because they're going to get killed. 
But the sisters are panicked because he died, but Jesus is not. And I, I think that we can falsely ascribe to our sovereign God of the universe this um, panic of time. Now, why is that a big deal to you and me? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I think that we often believe that we can't wait anymore for God to provide a solution. We cannot wait anymore. We have to do something. And I believe that's false. I believe we follow the God of time who is sovereign in every way. I want to point out to you that in, in the 11th chapter of, of John, or, I mean, 11th chapter of, um, yeah, of John, uh, whenever he is, uh, first hears of Lazarus passing, by the way, he's, he's a great, great friend, um, I want to point out to you that he stays two more days, that's what uh, the scripture says this morning. That when he first hears it, and I only say that because juxtaposed to you or I, maybe who would feel like we got to go right now and do something, um, it says that he chose to stay two more days. And he says that line that the guy quoted here, he says, the sickness will not, leave, will not end in death. It's for God's glory so that this God's son might be glorified through it. And so there's something to, the, to the, uh, the truth that in this situation, you know, Jesus, who had been healing people, who had been doing these miracles, decided this is the time to wait. This is the time to let God's glory be known. And so he waits. He doesn't go right away. I think it's okay that we're panicked reaching for Christ. I think it's okay that whenever the storm was around, the disciples grabbed Jesus and shook him and said, we're going to die, we're going to die. But I don't think it's okay to believe that about God. Does that make sense? I think that God is sovereign over all of that. Three times in the book of Revelations, when you're referring to Jesus the Christ, the author of Revelation says, of God, of Jesus... I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. Three times in the book of Revelations, we hear this truth ascribed. Alpha and Omega, by the way, if you don't know your Greek, is the beginning and the end of the alphabet. It's the where it starts and where it ends. There's nothing else. There's no other thing you can express besides that. The beginning and the end, we know what that means. The first and the last, we know what that means. That means there is nothing that happens that's beyond God's sovereignty. There's no getting outside of God's time frame. There's no mystery. There's nothing beyond him. He always is. I'll remind you also that in the opening, uh, opening of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created. We talked about that before. But also, in the beginning of the Gospel of John, it's recorded that in the beginning was the Word. Because God is eternal. And so, this shows us that he is, he is over all time. He's beyond time. I'm laying that down because I want us to start there, to identify, to realize, and to live into the reality that our God is sovereign over time, and we don't have to be panicked. We have to be discerning. We have to be intentional. We have to be listening to him, but we don't have to panic. So what good is this anyway? Well, I, well who cares? Who cares? 
what would it matter to our following of Jesus if we believe that God is sovereign over time or not? And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I, I think, because it, gives, uh, it should give us rest when we have a tendency towards panic. And here, here's what else it, it does. God's timing gives us confidence. Jesus said those words. He said, this sickness will not end in death. I want you to hear what he says. It's for God's glory so that God's son, that's Jesus himself, will be glorified through it when he shows up. So it gives us confidence to show up. I, you know, the, by the way, if you want to memorize some scripture, I've said this before, I just think it's awesome. The shortest verse of the Bible is right there. It's two words, Jesus wept. Verse 35 of chapter 11 of the Gospel of John, Jesus wept. But on his way there, he knew, he knew the whole time that God was going to provide a solution. Look at the prayer he prayed at the end. He says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of those standing here, that they might believe you sent me. He had absolute 100% confidence in what God was going to do in Lazarus. He told his disciples he's sleeping because God's going to wake him up. I want to get real practical. I, I know a lot of you love Christ and you love your friends and we can get ourselves so knotted up. I'll tell you what we can believe. We can believe that we want them saved more than God does. We believe that if God would just give us the power to save people, we could do it ourselves. But that's not true. God longs for people to return to him. He longs for it. And you and I can take confidence in that, that he's the God of time. I say to, to parents who are panicking, and they're like, my kid's lost. He's a mess. He's a wreck. She's a mess. They, they, they don't know what they're doing. They're a disaster. And, and I go, you know what, though? God saved us, right? And I guarantee you that there were people in my life that were going, he'll never be saved. He's a lost cause. You see, if, if we can stand back for a minute and trust God is sovereign and that all things work together for his purpose, that, that he's glorified when we rest in him, I'm saying let that burden be there. I talked about last week about how God builds that tension in our heart about people around us. And let that tension build, but never, ever, ever believe that you're ahead of God on the, on the plan for them. We can walk in that place where Jesus walked, where he's like, God's going to bring a solution. We can follow Jesus into a place where it looks so hopeless, where everyone's weeping and where there's brokenness everywhere. And we could even be broken ourselves and yet say, but God has control here. When Jesus calls Lazarus from the tomb, he's not hoping he comes out. He's not, you know, thinking maybe the word says he commanded Lazarus, come out. The same is true in every one of our lives. 
same is true for every person you're going to share the gospel with. The same is true for every person you're going to invite to hang out. That in the time, in God's time, in God's season, in God's ways, for God's glory, he's going to look at his child and he's going to say, come out. And they will. And will rejoice. There's a story in the Gospel of Luke, which I love. And, and it's in Luke chapter 4. You can write this down, verses 22 through 30. And I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to paraphrase it. I love the story because Jesus had just kind of unrolled the scrolls and he was talking about his ministry beginning on earth. And it says that everyone was amazed with Jesus' teaching. They couldn't believe what he was saying about the kingdom of God is here. This, this is fulfilled in your hand. They were so excited that, that the Messiah had come. And then they immediately turned against him. And it says that they took him, they led him, I want you to get this, it, they led him out to the brow of a hill, to the edge of a cliff, intending to throw him head first into the ravine. I want you to understand that they, that they took their savior, the one who was sent to save them. And they dragged him out, intending to kill him. But this is what is amazing to me. What the word records in the Gospel of Luke, it says that Jesus walked right through the middle of the crowd because his time had not yet come. We're getting ready to go on this trip to Guatemala, and there's fear in that. And I think about Jesus in the situation where he's just like, it's not my time. This isn't how I'm going to die. And he walked through the middle of the crowd who was set to kill him, who was set to throw him head first off a cliff. And he just walked away. It's not my time. I think that we can have that confidence if we're following God, if we're listening to the Spirit's leading in our life. God's timing gives us confidence in everything that we're doing, and in every moment we're doing it. There's a, you know, I always prep and stuff, but this I wanted to share you explicitly because I was so amazed. Matthew Henry commentary, by the way, there's all kind of cool tools online. You can do your own Bible studies and check this stuff out. Matthew Henry is a, an old commentary. But this is what they said about that passage, and I just love the way they said it. I can't say it any better. They say, Jesus escaped because his hour was not yet come. He passed through the middle of the crowd unhurt. Either he blinded their eyes, as God did those of the Sodomites and the Syrians, or he bound their hands, or he filled their heads with confusion so that they would not do what they had designed to do. Because his work was not yet done. In fact, his work had just begun. His hour has not yet come. Still later, when his hour had come, Jesus freely surrendered himself. Those two things are tied together. The story in Luke where he unrolls the scrolls and he walks away because it's not his time. And the story in the gospel where he sets his face on Jerusalem and on a cross. And even people who are nearest to him are saying, that's not the plan. And he's like, that's the plan. 
he has confidence in his father's timing. Thank God he was not deterred. The third thing I want to share with you today is that God's timing gives him all the glory. All the glory. And we see when Lazarus is resurrected, it would have been very easy if there was not that intentionality that Jesus could have gone in. And he says it's to glorify the Father and to glorify the Son. But there, there's this idea that it could have been like any other thing he had done. There are other people who were raised from the dead in Scripture. There are other people, lots of people who were healed. But this time he waits so that God gets the glory. I believe that you and I can take lessons from this. That in the same way, in those times that we're so prone to panic and so prone to press on and so prone to just rush ahead, that we can stand firm. I always think about the Israelites as they stood on the banks of the river with the enemy coming behind them. They were doomed. They were panicking. They were screaming at each other. And in that moment, they had to wait upon a solution from God. In the end, when the waters parted and they crossed over, it was all for God's glory. They could claim no part of it. For Mary and Martha, when they had seen their brother pass away, he was dead. As a matter of fact, they said, don't open the tomb because he's going to stink. When, they, when, when they, they were so convinced that it was over, that there was no point, there was no way, if he had been rescued from his deathbed, if he had been healed just before he died, if, if he had maybe been dead a few minutes, but four days, no way can he come back from the dead. And in that moment, when God's glory is revealed and Lazarus comes out, they see it. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And they behold his glory. There are times in our lives where we can rush and, 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 and not wait. And I hope that we're discerning and we wait at those seasons to wait. That we wait for God's glory to be revealed. This Sunday is known as uh, Palm Sunday. We have some palm fronds here. And uh, there's something that's interesting about the Palm Sunday and the way it happens, because you see, um, and by the way, I jokingly earlier raised my hand up about Palm Sunday, but there was this kind of big entry into Jerusalem. There was this big coming home of the Messiah, this big, and people started to catch the fever. They started to get super excited about what Jesus was going to do. They, they started to assume to get ahead of God and God's plan for the restoration of Jerusalem and of Israel of the oppression of Israel's enemies. And so as Jesus came into the town, they began to take the palm branches and they began to wave them around. They began to throw their coats down and he was riding on a donkey. And you know the story, he's going through and he's like a celebrity. It's like a parade. It's like a spontaneous you know, flash mob that have shown up as he's coming to save the world. And into this rides Jesus with his eyes fixed on the cross and the people assuming it's going to be a throne. Jesus wasn't going to stop short 
or make another plan. He was waiting for the glory of God to be made known. Two things I want to remind you of as we enter into Holy Week. I hope you can come out and join us for the services. I think it's really important that if you're able to do that, that you do that, that you fully engage in this conversation with God. But, I, you know, I, I don't want to ever undermine the reality that Jesus faced the cross and all of his tragedy. He faced death and all of its absentness. He, 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 he was completely torn. He was completely destroyed. He was completely you know, experiencing everything that this was. He didn't stop short. He didn't quit. And only when you understand what he gave, what he went through, can you understand the miracle, the resurrection. See, none of us will ever know exactly what Jesus went through. Well, maybe we will. I don't have authority to speak on that. But where you and I go to our grave and we lay down our heads and we rest it on Jesus and we say, this is it. Maybe we don't even say it because it happens that fast. But then we hear that voice calling us out. Three days dead from the grave. We will know the glory of God. And so even as Jesus rode into town, this was the... This wasn't the full plan. Today we're going to do something that that Jesus did. He took the time on the way, by the way, to the cross. He stopped, and we're going to have communion today. And um, this is our response to the gospel today. And I'm going to share some scripture with you. But he took, he got his disciples around a table, and he um, that he prepared for them, and and he um, he broke bread. And he shared a cup, and he said, every time you do this, remember me. I want to read uh, a passage of scripture about communion, because I want us to understand this. By the way, we always say at Family Bible, this isn't our table, this is Jesus' table. He provides this through the cross. This isn't ours to give or to take, it's his. It's yours to receive. But I want you to hear from scripture this experience of waiting that the table represents for you and for me. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says this, For I receive from the Lord what I also now pass on to you. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was going to be betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. And every time you do this, remember me. In the same way, after they had eaten supper, he took a cup, saying, this cup is a new promise made in my blood. And every time you drink from this cup, remember me. And then Paul adds this thought on. Paul says, because whenever you eat from the bread of the table of Jesus, whenever you drink from the cup that Jesus provides, you proclaim our Lord's death until he comes. It's a season of waiting. 
waiting for God's solutions. He goes on to say, therefore, if any one of you would come up and eat the bread or drink the cup of our Lord in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is for that reason that a person should examine themselves before they eat from the table and drink from the cup. Because anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of our Lord eats and drinks judgment upon themselves. And so today I'm going to invite you as you're, as you're led to come up and receive communion. But I'm going to ask you and partake myself in the same way that we be intentional about thinking about the cross, about Jesus Christ, and about what this table is about about what Easter is about. And that today, maybe we could have a day where we just wait. We're just going to wait for Jesus. Wait for his plan. Wait for his solution. By the way, we decided today to have the kids come back in. I hope you all don't mind. And we thought it's important that we are all here together to receive and to teach and to think about what the table of Jesus and the cross of Christ represents. Please join me in prayer. Father, today, you know our limitations. We don't see beyond our immediate time. We don't have special knowledge of the future, a special understanding of the past apart from you. Today, when we hear the story of Jesus waiting to go to his friend or when we hear the story of him coming in, we expect something else. But our Savior, Jesus, shows up in the most unexpected ways. I pray today, Father, that there are folks here today that don't know you, that, that believe that they're, that they're those hopeless broken, lost, rejected, thrown away people, that they would hear that there is a God that loves them so much that he would die himself and be rejected that they might be accepted. That in our hearts that would accuse us before your holy throne, our Savior Jesus would stand over us and say, no, this one's mine. I paid the price for him. I paid the price for her. And Jesus, I pray that by the compelling of the Spirit that you promised to send us, I pray that you would compel us toward responding to the truth, that we would receive the gift that you've given. And then as we come to your table today, may your Spirit work in us in powerful ways that we would not deny or neglect or ignore the profoundness of the table that you set for us, but we receive it worthily, we receive it humbly, and that we would just be able to worship you through this experience. We don't want to be kind to yours, Jesus. We want to be all yours. So we pray that prayer today in the powerful, mighty, sovereign, holy, eternal name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.
Amen.